I wanted to share my excitement today over our newest product that should assist with weight loss. It's called Metabolism Support. It works by increasing GLP-1 and reducing ghrelin, which I'll explain here in a minute. GLP-1 may sound familiar to you because over the past year, our clinic has had excellent success using GLP-1 agonist injections like semaglutide for weight loss. As a reminder, GLP-1 agonists delay the release of food from the stomach, making you feel fuller longer so you eat less and lose weight. However, today for those of you who have never taken a GLP-1 agonist or who don't want the injection or cost of the injection, I have another solution. We just launched Metabolism Support. It contains a patented blend of lemon, verbena, and hibiscus called Metabolade and green coffee bean extract. I want to explain to you here how this works and the balance of two hormones in your body. Your adipose cells, aka fat cells, secrete leptin, which is your satiation hormone that tells your body you're full. Leptin and ghrelin have somewhat of an inverse relationship. Ghrelin is your hunger hormone. Makes you want to eat. Think ghrelin, growling for more food. Your body doesn't always want you to lose weight and can fight against you, and I'll explain why. As you lose weight, you have less leptin and GLP-1 telling you that you're full and more ghrelin, that growling hormone that makes you feel hungry. So as you lose weight, many people actually get more hungry, and we need to stop that. And there's a solution. We now can take a supplement that increases GLP-1 and reduces ghrelin to help keep us full and eat less. The green coffee extract also has shown to help reduce body weight and improve metabolism. Trials have shown individuals on this product can lose 6% of their total body fat in eight weeks time. And if you're losing weight, blood pressure and cholesterol, all are going down really reducing cardiovascular risk factors. Of note, this product is 100% caffeine free. I don't understand how, but it is. This is also excellent when used in combination with berberine, fish oil, and bergamot, all of which also can reduce cardiovascular risk. I also have to emphasize that you will have much better success with any of the GLP-1 boosters when you combine them with lifestyle changes. I also always say there's no pill, potion, or powder that will replace lifestyle changes. You will get better, longer lasting results when you eat clean, exercise, and reduce stress in combination with taking the supplement. You can take this when on semaglutide if transitioning off of it, or of course, if also not taking it. This metabolism support supplement should be taken 30 minutes before your largest meal of the day for best results. And also remember, you will be better able to lose weight when you're hydrated. So start your day with large water with electrolytes and start every meal with protein. Use code weight loss for 10% off metabolism support at yourlongevityblueprint.com. And know that we now have an in-body machine at the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic. So if you want to see your body fat percentage before starting a supplement or even a GLP-1 agonist injection, we can provide you with this information to track your progress. This is the trauma pattern that's getting established in their nervous system. And because the nervous system is still developing, this becomes their foundation for life. Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. Today, you're going to hear from Dr. Amy Apigian. She's going to dive into how and where trauma gets stored in the body, the three states of the nervous system, and you're going to be blessed by hearing the story of her adopted son's journey. This is going to be something you do not want to miss. Let's get started.
Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Amy Appigan. She is a board-certified physician in preventative medicine and addiction medicine who specializes in recognizing and addressing the chronic effects of trauma on one's biology. After helping her foster adopted son as he struggled with severe emotional and behavioral issues, she started to see how much of trauma is biology, not psychology. She earned her medical degree from Loma Linda University, has a master's in biochemistry and a master's in public health. Two years into her general surgery residency, she went from running marathons and being an avid cyclist to severe fatigue, autoimmune issues, was overweight and depressed. Through her personal experiences, she has found we all live compromised due to stored trauma in our body. Talk therapy is not the answer, and her mission is now to share with others the ways to accelerate the healing journey to consistent high states of health, aliveness, and performance through leveraging our own very survival and reward pathways. Sounds great. That's what I want. Yeah. Welcome to the show, Dr. Appigan. Did I say your name right? Is that right? It's Dr. Appigan, but that's, Appigan. Why I, okay. that's why I go by Dr. Amy, because okay. there's so many different ways that you can say that. And it's like, you know what? We, we need to simplify this. It's Dr. Amy. <laughs> Thank you. I interview so many people, and sometimes I forget how to pronounce their... Yeah names. Well, Dr. Amy, I first heard you in a speak-off at a Mindshare conference, and you really had me, you had my attention with your first words. Those first words gave me the chills. They give me the chills really thinking about them today. You were a very captivating, memorable speakers, a speaker, and I want my listeners to hear the content that you presented there. So do you remember what your first line was on that talk? Do you want to share with us what that was? My first line was, Mommy, I'm going to kill you. And that's that why you had my attention. <laughs> please share. Please not share. going to kill you today, mommy. I'm going to kill you tomorrow. And then my son proceeded to tell me exactly how he planned to kill me the next day. All while he was snuggling in my arms and cuddling with me. It still just blows my mind, like how much kids can go through yeah. and we can think that they're resilient and we don't understand what's going on underneath the surface that really is changing their biology, kind of adapting to their environment, right? Like just like any other <laughs> biological species, we adapt to our environment and those are the adaptations that happen, right? It, it actually changes our nervous system and we start seeing the world different, seeing ourselves different and depending to the degree that we've had to adapt will depend on, on the adaptations that we start having in our life. We got to dive into this. But first, I want to ask, because of course, now that elicits more questions, like I'm thinking, well, what's going through your mind as he's saying this to you? And how old is he? And obviously, through your bio, the listeners know he was adopted. So we got to know more. <laughs> so, so how did you become so proficient about really stored trauma and, and the impacts of that on our health? Did this spur your your research yes. to, okay. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I was on a very conventional medicine path. In fact, I was so science nerdy in the textbooks. I had no idea really that I had a body. I was just always in my head, right? Like, give me something to think about. Give me something to understand. And that's where I was the happiest. And so I was even doing a master's in biochemistry during medical school, when I decided to become a foster parent, he was the first child that they gave me. I ended up having two over the course of the next few years. And he arrives in my home. I think that I know what to do. I've had this, you know, great background, upbringing. I was a very uh, conservative Christian at the time. Like I knew that I had all the answers. 
And I knew that all he needed was, you know, the structure, the the love, love the yeah. nurture, exactly. And, uh, you know, good food and church, of course, and God, and that would just fix him. And it didn't. And so I got him when he was four. I adopted him when he was five. And it was while he, when he was five, that he actually did start trying to kill me. So he not only would talk about it, he would actually do it. And what I found was that it was my love that scared him the most. So the more that I loved him. (laughs) Oh, makes me cry. (laughs) Right. The more that I loved him, the more scared he would get and the more he would try to push me away. And so that's when I really started diving into what is going on. What is going on in his brain? What is going on in his body? Because he would just have these severe emotional reactions to what I thought were very simple and small things. And we would be in a five-hour rage where he would finally just fall asleep exhausted and sweating and tired because he'd been fighting for so long. I mean, that's what prompted me to learn any of this because up until then, I had no idea anything about trauma. I would never would have thought that I had trauma patterns in my own biology. And I first started with learning attachment. And that was where I was like, oh, wait a second. There's this attachment thing. And it's not just your attachment style, you know, whether you're avoidant or insecure, your relationship style. No, like attachment is actually your biology. And I know we're going to talk about this later on and go into more depth, but that attachment is actually established in your nervous system by age 12 months of life. So there's something going on in really early life before you even have words, before you're even communicating in a verbal way, there's other forms of communication and dynamics in your environment that you're already making huge adaptations to. And coming away out of the first year of life with either a secure nervous system where you're feeling safe, where you're feeling like, hey, I'm taken care of. I can communicate my needs. They respond to my needs, which allows me then to explore and play and be creative because I'm not worried about what's going on. Are they in a bad mood? You know, what kind of response am I going to get? Should I ask now or is now not a good time that I should tell them that I'm hungry or that I'm cold or that I need my diaper changed? There's so much of this subconscious pre-verbal dynamics that actually creates our nervous system for life. That's where then this whole field opened up to me. And it's like, wow, wait a second. Cause then our nervous system causes changes in our immune system and causes changes in our stress response and that HPA axis and the adrenal glands. And that is why when we look at something as uh, you could say severe or extreme is the adverse childhood experiences study where people have gone through and survived some really, really hard things early in their childhood. That's why decades later, they're having cardiovascular disease. They're having autoimmune disease. It's not immediate. It's these adaptations in childhood that start the process, start these adaptations in our biology from the effects of our nervous system and the stored trauma that then cause all these downstream changes, consequences, adaptations in our biology that we call disease. Again, I have so many other questions. (laughs) So I'm assuming based on your son's behavior, he had some, I don't know how to call it, attachment 
challenges or yes, <laughs> um, yes. yeah. So so that led to him having stored trauma in his body. Yes. Correct. Am I, I I don't know if yes. I'm saying this correctly. So how does trauma get stored in the body? So or maybe you kind of already just shared that. But do you want to expand a little bit on that? This can be yeah. a difficult concept. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And this is a really important question. And it's really simple to understand when you look at the nervous system, because the nervous system is our survival system. And so the very short answer is that trauma gets stored in our nervous system because that's the initial imbalance that happens when we have this type of life that we're constantly having to survive. That's not normal, right? Like we shouldn't have to be surviving every day, you know, maybe once a year, you know, once a month, we have some big event that we're like, oh my goodness, right? Like need to survive this. But then we come back into this, ah, all is good. I'm fine. You're fine. We're all okay. But we never do that, right? Like when we're living in these family dynamics, especially as kids, we don't recognize it as trauma, right? We don't even know those words yet. But what we're having to do is we're having to adapt to someone else's emotional reactions to life. We're having to adapt to their moods, to their decisions, to their actions. It's those responses that we're doing that form this trauma pattern in our nervous system. You can call it attachment trauma. That would be one word for it. You can call it adaptation, right? So attachment adaptation adaptive syndrome, all of those would be consistent with the same thing that's happening in the nervous system. For just one step further, for those people who already have that basic understanding of the nervous system, you have three states of your nervous system. That's it, which really helps to understand it. You have three states, two of which are the survival states. Most people just think of the survival state as one state, fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. And that is wrong. That, that, hmm. that concept has misled so many people and I'm here to try to change that. <laughs> so those are actually two very different, very different survival states. You have the sympathetic, which is your fight or flight. That is where your nervous system goes. It's programmed in. You're not going to be able to change that. That's where your nervous system goes every single time there is a threat that shows up in your day. Now, it goes into sympathetic. And if you're able to figure out, if your brain is able to figure out in that fight or flight state, right? The hyper-focused thoughts, your thoughts are racing. What do I need to do? Then if you're able to figure out what to do and you get through that safely, you're supposed to come back into parasympathetic state, which is your, ah, all is good. Whew. Glad I survived that one. But what happens, especially in early childhood where we don't even have the words to say this stuff yet, what happens is that we go into sympathetic, but it overwhelms our biology. It overwhelms our ability to know how to respond. We don't know what to do. And when that situation happens, we go into the freeze state which is, I call it like a dorsal dive because this is the polyvagal theory. And there's actually a communication that happens into that dorsal nucleus of the vagus in the brainstem. Some people can even kind of feel that washing down where they just experience this, this sensation of whoosh down their body and they feel the collapse. And they go from this high anxiety state in the sympathetic, very high energy to collapse 
shut down and overwhelm. And this is a pattern that gets very strong when this type of family dynamics are going on and a young child is having to constantly be in survival mode because there's constant threat. They just don't know. They're always feeling insecure, insecure in their relationship to their parent, to their siblings, to their teacher, whatever it is. If they're constantly feeling uncertain, insecure, this is the trauma pattern that's getting established in their nervous system. And because the nervous system is still developing, this becomes their foundation for life. And so this is the, how the trauma gets stored in our pattern, in our nervous system then is that we develop a strong pull towards the freeze response and that overwhelm where something has gone from a stress, which is sympathetic to I'm overwhelmed. And this is a biological thing. We experience it as emotional, (laughs) right? We experience it as I'm giving up. I don't know what to do. I'm giving up. I'm giving in. And so there can be the fatigue. There can be the depression. This is where chronic conditions like chronic pain, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, all of the autoimmune conditions, they're all part of having had this strong pull towards the freeze response rather than actually staying in sympathetic and being able to feel like I can meet this threat and survive. And bounce back to the parasympathetic, And bounce right? back to right, parasympathetic, yeah. exactly. It's when a person's system keeps going down into the freeze response that we see so many more consequences to their health downstream decades later even because of how much that vagus nerve affects everything because when a person goes into the freeze response, the body really is saying, look, I don't have the energy to meet this threat. I have to go into energy conservation in order to survive this. So we're not going to fight. We're not going to actively try to figure out what we need to do to get out of this. We're just going to stay right here We're just going to shut down and not care anymore because we don't even have the energy to care. We only have enough energy to breathe. And even that we're going to shut down. We're going to go into really shallow breathing, very slow breathing. We're going to slow down the heart rate. We're going to do all of these low energy things. We're going to shut down the digestive system. So there's all these consequences to the health that happen as a result of this pattern, this trauma pattern of going into the freeze response being stored in a person's nervous system. So I know this is a lot of information that I'm throwing at you, Dr. Gray. <laughs> <laughs> well, being that I'm trained in functional medicine, I'm, you know, I'm immediately thinking, well, we need to prevent the attachment trauma. Exactly. Right. Yes. So, and I yes. know we need to still work to treat the patient. So maybe let's digress a little bit to, I have a two-year-old. So of course I'm thinking, oh my gosh, did he have trauma? How is it? <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't think he, he had much of that, but how do we prevent the attachment trauma? What can parents do? I mean, putting ourselves in the role of a parent What can we do to prevent this for our children? Yes. And I'm going to share some studies with you, Dr. Gray, that are are at first are going to feel really discouraging. Okay. (laughs) So let me just, let me just put that out there that, that I'm going to move to the hope and solutions, but first I want to paint the full picture of attachment. So attachment is this nonverbal communication, the dynamic that happens between a mom and her child. And 
it happens within that first 12 months of life. So when we look at what is actually happening in that nonverbal communication, we call it regulation, specifically regulation of the child's nervous system. It's very interesting that when a child is born, their nervous system does not have the capacity for much flexibility. They, they are very dysregulated. They're all over the place, right? And like you scream, <laughs> feed me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You remember that. And <laughs> what happens is that when we respond to those needs in a way that communicates to them in a nonverbal way, of course, that I'm here, I hear you, I see you, and I'm providing for your needs, then they shift into that, ah, and they get all cuddly and they snuggle and they're building those muscles of the parasympathetic system where they do feel safe. They feel completely 100% secure so that you as a parent can literally hold them up over, you know, a pool in your arms and they feel no fear because they trust you that much. So the regulation then is what attachment is and responding to those times when in their nervous system, they go into high sympathetic and they're screaming, being able to, in that moment, regulate their nervous system. And we do that through our nervous system. So this is the part that gets really discouraging. <laughs> so since we're stressed out when exactly. we're... <laughs> exactly, exactly. Whatever is our nervous system, we share that. And it's going to be subconscious. It's not something that we actually have logical control over our state of our nervous system. It's not something where it's like, oh, mom, just breathe deep and you'll be fine. No, just go do some meditation. You'll be fine. Oh, do some yoga, even yoga with your baby, and that'll be awesome. No, that's not enough because whatever our pattern is in our nervous system, if we came out of our childhood with any insecurities in our nervous system, Subconsciously, even after our best attempts to not let our past still influence our parenting, it's going to come out because it's not verbal. It's, dun, dun, it's dun, yeah. <laughs> down to how much pressure we put on them when we touch them. It comes down to how often we make eye contact with them. It comes down to the tone in our muscles and our cheeks, like that stuff that we cannot logically control. That's what regulation is. And we call that co-regulation where we're using our nervous system to shift their nervous system. And so whatever our nervous system is, we're shifting theirs to ours. This is where I'm going to share a study with you. You know, the big father of attachment theory was John Bowlby. And he did a lot of his work actually uh, during World War II times and even looked at orphanages and how babies were dying if they did not get enough touch. That's how much this regulation is essential for the development of our nervous system, where the nervous system of these babies would get so overwhelmed, so much into that free state, so overwhelmed without that regulation from an adult that they would die. Touch is a huge form of regulation, right? What he looked at then was this, you know, attachment and this attachment style. But then his graduate student, Mary Ainsworth, she did a study that was called the strange situation study. And that's where we know that it's at 12 months of life that a, an, a child already has their attachment style in place wired into their nervous system. The follow-up study to that was bringing those children back when they had their children. Wow. 
Cool. Cool, right? Yeah. And yeah. guess what? Those children, like their children, had the exact same attachment style as they had when they were 12 months of age. How do we stop the cycle then? How do we change it? If 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 exactly. the attachment style is not a good one, then we exactly. Have to, and that's yeah. where we really have to look at ah, this stuff, attachment, trauma gets stored in our nervous system. And we need to be able to find those leverage points, be able to rewire that, be able to help the body readapt to, to a life, to a parasympathetic state so that w- that's what we are now sharing with our children. So for the last 10 years now, I have been on a quest to figure out how do we actually change this, even as adults, right? Because first I helped my son and as awful and hard as that experience was, children are easier to change their nervous system than adults. <laughs> sure. I don't want to cut you off. Yeah, but, no, but even it. before we change it, how do we know if we have attachment trauma? Yes. And this is very true. So, so I'll let you finish, but maybe go back there to answer that. Too. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, and maybe this will be a perfect segue into that is that after I helped my son and he was in a great place then I had my health crash. Of course. Well, thank God you didn't have it before I, you were able to help him. But. <laughs> and yeah, you can look at it as, hey, you know, these were years of exhausting work. Of course you crash. And it's like, well, yes, but no, right? Like I actually had to look at why would I have made those decisions? Why would I have adopted a son while I was in medical school and doing a <laughs> master's, right? Like- Those are the types of patterns that we can start looking at our life and being like, oh, I see patterns of me acting out out of fear, out of insecurities. So we can look at our health. And for me, I I developed all of those, right? Like I developed the chronic fatigue. I went to my conventional doctor. We ran all the tests. There wasn't much that was not wrong. And so then I had to start looking at, well, what is wrong? Because I can't even get out of bed. And I have been in a general surgery residency working more than 80 hours a week and then running and still biking. So not being able to get out of bed is a huge change for me. Something is wrong. Your labs didn't pick it up, but let me go figure it out. That's how I found functional medicine. But it was also that process that I found that I had my autoimmune markers high. I started seeing a specialized type of ophthalmologist. And after a few months of working with their program, the designer of the whole program came and met with me and he says, these are the types of patterns that we see in people who have multiple sclerosis. Do you have multiple sclerosis? And that scared me so much, Dr. Gray, because I, having been in, in the health field, I knew what that life was like. And I did not want to go down that path of multiple sclerosis or autoimmune conditions. And so it was a huge wake up call for me that, wait a second, we're on this path. I don't want to go down this path. I need to get off of this path. And that's how I figured out like, okay, I need to figure out how to change my own patterns because I now recognize that these health conditions are part of childhood attachment trauma. And I did not recognize, I never would have said, oh yeah, I had childhood trauma. Never. 
never would have recognized that, right? Like my parents were married all throughout my childhood. They didn't use any substances. They never went to jail. Like there's, there's nothing in my childhood that I would look back and say, ah, clearly, clearly I had trauma. No, (laughs) but now that I understood attachment, it was like looking back and I could see the relationship with my mother in a very different way. And, And part of this, it takes the judgment away from the parent takes the blame out of it because it really comes down to your biology, your history. My mom, you know, she had her history. She had her childhood that was influencing her. Her dad died, you know, when she was very young. So she had to do a lot on her own. And so she comes into this. She's married to somebody that was very stressful. She's trying to do a job. She's trying to also change careers And I'm looking at this, realizing that I probably was a more needy baby based on my health issues. I think I had more more need for touch and regulation than other children. And my mom got overwhelmed with that. She couldn't do that. She was busy. She had two other children. She didn't have the time or the emotional energy to be able to dedicate the amount of regulation and time and touch that I seem to need to be in that regulated state most of the time. So looking back, it's like, oh, okay, well, now I understand. Exactly. And what can I do about it now? And so that's where I've developed my whole program now of looking at, hey, this is the most common imbalances in a person's biology that even makes their system be more dysregulated. Let's start there. Let's identify the most common biological imbalances. Can you list some of those for our listeners? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So some of them are going to be actual biochemical imbalances caused by genetics or epigenetics. Methylation is one of the most common ones that I see people coming to me with and they have like poor um, methylation or methylation imbalances. And the way that I break down methylation is you're either under methylated or over methylated. Either one of those are going to be problems. We need to identify which one because they're going to change your neurotransmitters. So with undermethylation, for example, it causes low activity of serotonin and low activity of dopamine, which is really interesting because most people coming out of having these patterns, the strong freeze response from childhood, any of the insecure attachment, most of them have low dopamine and low serotonin activity. Is that because they were already undermethylated or did they develop the undermethylation more with time because of other epigenetic factors? We don't have that data yet, but it's likely that they were already undermethylators, already had low serotonin and low dopamine activity, which means that they needed more regulation. They needed more of this stuff that their parents just were not able to provide for them. And so these types of imbalances, it is, it's a risk factor. It predisposes you then to having this type of stored trauma in your biology. So that's methylation. The other ones include copper and zinc. So high copper excess and even the copper to zinc ratio is another one of the very common imbalances that I see in people who have mood and trauma stuff. Maybe they're already in therapy and just can't move through therapy because they just, they're, they're stuck. They're stuck in their, in their thoughts. They're stuck in their moods. They're, they're stuck. And the copper will even be something that contributes to the chronic fatigue 
and the other physical health symptoms, which is a big part of trauma, right? Because if, if your body is under so much oxidative stress and inflammation, that's where the energy is being shunted towards. It's not going to have the energy for going to counseling and going to therapy and actually changing. The other factor is that these types of imbalances, especially the copper to zinc ratio, if that's off, it creates enough of the oxidative stress and inflammation around your nerve cells, neuroinflammation, which will keep your nerve cells stuck in how they've always operated. If we're going to change things about ourselves, we need to have neuroplasticity, the ability of the nervous system to change itself. But if it's bathed in inflammation, it's not going to change. That's not where it's going to need to focus the energy. It needs to focus the energy on just trying to combat the inflammation and survive as a cell. It's not going to be able to feel that thriving state. And I call it cellular resilience where, yeah, and now we have all this energy for neuroplasticity and bring on, you know, the meditation and the therapies and all this kind of stuff. So copper to zinc and then pyrrole disorder. So would you check just a a serum level of copper and zinc or, or where are you checking? So I use DHA labs a lot for these kinds of labs because it does matter whether it's whole blood or just serum. I have um, worked with DHA labs and they have done these specific labs for so long. Like this is part of their protocol from working so closely with uh, Dr. William Walsh out of the Walsh Research Institute. The third most common one is something that we call pyrrole disorder just something that very, very few people have ever heard about. And what that is, is it's both a genetic and an epigenetic condition. And pyrrole disorder refers to inside of your red blood cells, you have this iron ring that carries oxygen. And if your body has a hard time, your enzymes have a hard time breaking down that ring when it's time to recycle that red blood cell, then you have this ring that then passes through your kidney. It's able to pass through your kidney, but it pulls out zinc and B6 with it. So it causes a functional deficiency in zinc and B6, two of the nutrients that are some of the most important ones for the nervous system. And again, regulation, stability of the nervous system. And so this is a condition that will make a person very sensitive uh, so when I think of sensitivity to lights, sensitivity to sounds, I'm thinking, ooh, we may have a pyrrole disorder here and we need to do a very simple urine test. And in fact, I can give you the link for exactly which test to order through DHA labs for testing all three of these, the methylation, copper and zinc, and the pyrrole, and be able to look at, you know, do you have one of these very common imbalances that I see in people who have stored trauma and are having a harder time shifting their nervous system and getting to a place of consistent parasympathetic state where they're feeling calm and yet alive, creative, playful, connecting. And I think that's most of our world right now, <laughs> right? Like we, we have not been in parasympathetic much as a, as a society, which is interesting because you know, the epigenetic portion of the pyral disorder is that in times of stress, that will get worse. And so a person may not have much of an issue with pyrals during a, a time where they're not stressed, but, you know, bring on 
a pandemic, bring on financial insecurity, bring on your, may lose your job. And all of a sudden you also now have this low zinc and B6 and your nervous system is struggling and it's going to make that situation even more stressful. It's going to push your nervous system again, like what we talked about towards that line now of overwhelm. Biologically, it's going to be overwhelmed because it doesn't have the nutrients it needs to face that threat. And you're going to be closer to that line than of going into the freeze response. And many, many people, Dr. Gray, are living in what I call a chronic functional freeze state. They've given up. They're just going through life kind of in a bit of a daze. They've lost their fight for life. They've lost their, their fire for life because it's been hard and their nervous system has gotten to the point where it's like, hey, we're running on fumes. We don't have what it takes. So we're going to keep you small. We're going to hold you back. We're going to keep you in this low energy state in order to just help us survive. So interesting. Have you, this is a personal question, so I feel bad asking this on the podcast, but have you tested yourself for all of these ratios and things that of course you're, yes. yeah. Yep. And in your yep. page, I first tested myself three years ago when I first, uh, no, it was more than three years ago now, about five years ago, uh, when I first discovered Dr. Walsh's work and I was like, Ooh, I need to test myself. And have you found then through your clinical um, experiences as well, that you've been able to improve these ratios? With the recommended nutrients yes. and whatnot. So these are things for the listeners. Yes. Don't be discouraged or depressed. These are things, if found to be unfavorable, that we can change. Well, exactly. And that's where the hope comes in. And that's where we can really start to gain ground in changing your nervous system, whether it's because you want to be a better parent <laughs> or whether you want to be able to show up at work better. You want to be able to show up in life the way that you really want to show up in life of being present and engaged um, rather than, you know, kind of uh, shut down and collapsed. And when we can identify these imbalances, now we have something to work with. And honestly, Dr. Gray, like this is just the starting point. I find these imbalances are so common that I do it on everybody who comes to work with me. We do it first, and then we also do other testing. But before I want to do other testing, I need to know, like, do you have these? Because once we shift these, once we replace, you know, your zinc and your B6 and we address the methylation, things just start to fall in place and you naturally feel better. You naturally have more resilience for your day. Things naturally will just kind of roll off your back easier. You won't be as reactive. You're not as sensitive. And that's where it's like, yeah, exactly. Like that's your nervous system. And that's what it can do for you when we know how to support it in the right way. So I personally had all three of those imbalances, <laughs> <laughs> but not anymore. No, <laughs> right. And it was such a game changer for me because at the time I even had a copper IUD Ooh. and here I get my test results back and my copper is through the roof mm -hmm. and I'm like, Oh, okay. Now I know how to make these decisions for other areas of my life because I now have this data, this information on how much my my nervous system is is being affected and being worn down by these biochemical imbalances 
that I had no idea that I had. No idea. Wow. We could go down a whole nother tangent and talk about IUDs and whatnot, but we'll we'll just <laughs> right? I'll bring it back in for a second. So so for the listeners, what do they do if they feel like after listening to this podcast can identify with what you're saying? Like if they feel like they have seen trauma patterns in their body, like where can they start? Great question. And again, the trauma patterns can be not only your health, but your thoughts and your moods. Looking at all of the different ways in which trauma can show up in your life. And we know that it's trauma when you're stuck. So if you're trying to change something, if you're trying to change how you think about something, if you're trying to change how you feel about something, and you're not able to consistently change that, then that's where we realize, ah, this is a trauma then that has been stored in your nervous system. Because otherwise the body should be able to bounce back and heal. So where do people start? I tell people that we really have to integrate the biology piece and the actual nervous system exercises that will touch on this stored trauma and how it has been stored in the body. So we which need means, to start yeah. looking at, <laughs> right, right, which means, right. So we actually need to start looking at your sympathetic response and your freeze response and do it in a very gentle way. Because if we try to change the nervous system too fast, rewire the, the pathways too fast, it's almost like trying to change the way a tree is growing overnight. And if you go out to a tree and you're like, no, 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 I want you to grow this way instead. And you just bend it, you're going to break it. So it's actually more of this gentle shifting of the nervous system to, hey, we're going to now be spending more time in parasympathetic. We need to spend less time in sympathetic. And that needs to be gentle because there's so many other chemicals, your neurobiology that's involved. We have become addicted to adrenaline. We have become addicted to dopamine and to cortisol. That's how we feel alive, right? We we put ourselves under a deadline in order to get that energy to do something. And so if we're going to change that, we have to do that slowly because the body has to have time to start making those chemicals in different ways, in different times, so that we're not feeling all of a sudden like, oh, I'm dopamine deficient, I'm adrenaline deficient, and I need to go create some chaos in my life to feel alive again, <laughs> right? So we have to do this gently. So what I have found is that we've got to address the biology. The first place that I usually start usually is with these most common biochemical imbalances. And then we need to start with actually working with the nervous system and the stress response and the trauma patterns. So I have become trained in somatic experiencing and instinctual trauma response. And those were huge for me, especially sitting in those trainings as a medical doctor and you know, everybody else is a therapist or, you know, body worker. And here I'm coming in with a very different lens and I'm absolutely loving what is happening because finally I have tools to actually work directly with a person's nervous system, know how to regulate them, whether it's through teaching them, you know, a, a certain exercise in the moment or providing some touch at certain places in their body with a certain amount of pressure. There's a, a lot that can go into it, but that would be the, the thing, right? It's like, if you're really interested in this, come look at my work and see how I integrate the biology piece and this trauma therapy piece, most of which would fall under this category of, you know, somatic practice, a somatic body work where we're actually working directly with your nervous system 
and how it has these instinctual responses to threats and then to the freeze response, because those are the leverage points that we need to change in order to get your system being able to stay in parasympathetic and then building that window of tolerance so that you can experience more stress in life and still stay in parasympathetic and not go full-blown into anxiety and stress and fear. And then even down that dorsal dive into the freeze response. And I don't care anymore. I'm just going to collapse and shut down. You may likely have heard me talk about one of my favorite products in several episodes called Adrenal Calm. It contains a unique blend of botanicals and nutrients that support the stress response, particularly promoting cortisol balance. Specifically, Adrenal Calm includes a blend of adaptogenic botanicals and nutrients formulated to counteract the effects of daily stress and support healthy energy levels. It also contains phosphatidylserine and L-theanine, both of which reduce that half-life of cortisol or, in other words, calm adrenaline. I love using this in the afternoon if I've had a stressful workday or before public speaking. It can also be taken on a daily basis as many of us have more daily stress now than ever before. If you're interested in learning more about adaptogenic herbs, read chapter six of my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, and check out our product guide info sheet at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash product forward slash adrenal hyphen calm. To get 10% off adrenal calm or L-theanine, use code calm at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now let's get back to the show. So I, I have to ask here too, because I do think talk therapy is valuable. So if you're, a, you know, if you're, if you're a therapist and you're listening, I don't think that Amy's saying therapy is not valuable. I think you're saying it's more valuable when you can do some of these other things first. Based on some other um, practitioners that I've interviewed on this podcast, I would think that part of one's journey also may be, I don't know how to describe it, releasing the trauma or forgiving the person or like there can be more to the story, right? That would you say a therapist or would help with? Do you know, like that, that third piece, maybe that I'm saying, I, I don't know. I would think that that would also be another. Yes. And I also feel like we're like, Ooh, like we could, we could talk about this, just this for hours. Um, right. Right. It's hard to, here's, I just don't want to lose any therapists exactly, that are listening. I want exactly, them to, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So here's, here's my experience and here's my specific words of encouragement for therapists. There are many people who their body would not be ready to just talk about something because they have so much going on in their biology that you bring something up and they're not able to resolve it. Their nervous system does not have the energy, the capacity, the neuroplasticity to deal with it in any different way than how they've always dealt with it, which is just kind of going into the freeze response. For some people, they may be able to benefit right away from talking things through with people. The problem with that is that that puts us in that logic frontal cortex of our brain and it doesn't touch any of the pre-verbal stuff that is there. So for the therapists who are listening, um, I'm actually starting a certification program on the biology of trauma for therapists so that they can learn what are these biological issues that will keep their clients stuck in therapy or even just slow down their progress that if they can see like, hey, you're also experiencing this and this and this, or if you are experiencing this in your life, you've got you know, sensitivities to light, you've got sleep problems, you've got digestive issues, you've got these other things that suggest that you have a biology of trauma that's playing out. Talk therapy, what we do here will never be enough. You also need to be doing this so that our work together 
can be so much more. More successful. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, you said that well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're listening here today and you still don't think that you may be someone who has had insecure attachment, I think at one point I heard Dr. Amy say that like 40 to 70% of the population or how much? Oh, it's more than that now, Dr. Is, Gray. It's, it's more than it? that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's different categories actually of insecure attachment. To me, it's all the same because it's all causing imbalances in your nervous system, but each one does present a little different. But still, if you're looking at just in general, who all in our society has an insecure attachment, so has these attachment trauma patterns in their nervous system, you're looking at over 80%. I think the last number that I saw was 87%. So, Holy smokes. Exactly. Like this has become normal. This has become, there, there shouldn't be any judgment or shame or, oh my goodness, like I have an insecure attachment. Yes, I have, you know, I have had those patterns, right? Like that, that was my life up until I learned all this and learned how to rewire that. And those tendencies will still be there because those roads were built in my nervous system. Now what I ha- I get to do with the work is I actually get to choose. I now have a choice. Do I want to go down that old way of thinking and behaving right now? Or do I want to utilize the new pathways that I've used? It's brought in this moment of pause <laughs> and choice. Whereas before, I didn't even know that there was an issue to even be able to choose. And then once I knew that there was an issue and that I was responding to life out of a place of insecurity... I still couldn't stop it. I couldn't stop myself from using all of my coping mechanisms, right? Which overwork, overexercise, overeating, those have been my favorite (laughs) over the years. I couldn't, I was so aware of the issue and aware of what I was doing that I was using those to help regulate my nervous system, but I didn't know how to stop it yet and I couldn't control it. So then I would go on this like yo-yo diets where I would eat a lot and then feel so bad that I would not eat for, you know, or eat a lot less for a few days. And then of course that's not sustainable. So it just created a lot of this chaos in my biology and my life until I, I brought in all of these pieces, the biology piece, the somatic therapy pieces. And then that's where the huge shift has happened. It's like, ah, now I have control over my reactions and my responses. And that's really cool. Yes, yes, yes. So just a few more questions. (laughs) So what are some other ways that one can accelerate the healing journey? Like what else can we be doing? I think that's a really important question because especially when I was working with my son, that was the first question that I asked was not only how can I help him get better, how can I help him get to a place where he's actually happy so he can have the rest of his childhood as happy, but how can we get there as soon as possible, right? And then when I started going through my own stuff, it was like, okay, I see that I have my own stuff and how can I get to a healthy place as quickly as possible? because obviously my life has been affected long enough. When we look at these points in our biology that are holding our nervous system back from being able to process things and and heal itself and rewire, those are the leverage points that we get to use to accelerate the healing journey. Like those labs, is that what you mean by the... It would start with the last and after that, it would be looking at at other things and even being able to be very strategic about how we're supporting our brain chemistry and what is your brain chemistry? You know, the serotonin, the GABA, the dopamine, are those at the levels that you need to actually optimize 
your process to healing. What about your, your gut? Do you have any signs of leaky gut and food sensitivities? Because that is going to travel up the vagus nerve up to your brain and cause inflammation in your brain. Everybody's different based on their specific history and their specific health issues, but there are clear leverage points in our biology that when you combine that then with actually the trauma therapies and the somatic work working directly with your nervous system. And you can feel that charge come up and you can feel the <laughs> discharge. Like it shows up as heat. It can show up as trembling. Like it's so powerful work to do the, the somatic the trauma releasing, if you want to call it that, or the somatic trauma therapies, because you can in real time learn how to shift your own nervous system. It's so powerful to be able to do that for yourself and not have to, you know, wait for your therapy session, you know, next week. It's like, no, no, no. Like you can actually learn a lot of this stuff. And that's what I teach in my programs. Like you can, these are the exercises that you can do to know which state you're in, in any given moment and be able to shift Make that. a shift. Yes, exactly. Yep. So I don't know which question to ask next, but most importantly, is your son happy? How is your son Yes. Is there a happy ending here? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. So my son has, did a lot of work and it was six yeah. long, long years, Dr. Gray, long years. And not only for me, right? Like for him too, because he, yeah. he was having to go through this. He's not happy. He's off the handle. Um, it got really, really bad. And I kept trying different things because again, I, I wish that I had known all of this yes. back then. But I didn't, I didn't. And so I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And finally, we got to the point where it was like, okay, we've got all the pieces in place. And once we did, it was dramatic. Over one week period of time, he, his nervous system changed completely to now being able to feel my love for him, be open Aww. to that, feel safe yes. with that, want that. And the, the change was dramatic. I mean, I remember that moment walking down this country road in West Virginia of all places where, <laughs> you know, I had taken us for our, our you know, the, the new therapy that I was going to try for us. And not to say that it was that therapy because it was everything else that had led up yep. to that as well, right? Yep. And that's why I, I do have an intentional parenting for attachment program that I run now for parents uh, wanting to help make sure that their child has that secure attachment. And we're walking down and for the first time, like I feel his hand, he reaches for my hand. He had Aww. never done that before. He had Aww. never done that before. And I was so shocked, right? <laughs> that I looked Hold on down. Tight, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> I looked down. He was walking on my right side. I looked down and he's actually looking right back up at me in my eyes. And he was one who would never look in my eyes. He would look everywhere but my eyes, right? Aww. He did not did not feel safe with me actually seeing inside of him. He was so afraid of the amount of anger that he had inside himself that he didn't want me to see that yeah. anger. And yeah. here he is actually looking in my eyes. And he said, Mom, I really love you. And I was like, I can, <laughs> I can... I can, like, I'm hearing the words, but more than that, Dr. Gray, like, I can feel it. Like, yes. because for the first time, he actually is holding my hand. And up until then, when, whenever I needed to hold his hand, it was me holding his hand. Right, his right. hand was just kind of limp, 
right? Like, I don't really want to, I don't want to be holding hands with you. I don't want to be connected with you. I don't want to, don't want any of you. And for the first time, like, I know that I heard the words, but I felt it like he was now holding my hand and I knew, okay, we're there. Like, yes, this is what we worked for. (laughs) Props to you both. Yes. Yes. And you're for doing the work and now for for you sharing it with others, which is what my next question is. I'm, but I just want to say your son's one lucky, lucky boy. Cause I mean, his life could have gone a lot different, but I believe it. it. And it would have, it It would have, he was headed for a really hard disaster. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In a very short amount of time, given his behaviors at that young of age. Mm -hmm. One blessed, blessed boy. Well, I I consider myself the blessed one. Oh, so tell listeners. So what do you do as far as do you train parents? Then you have courses for parents, but also for providers. Kind of tell us where listeners can find you (laughs) and connect with you and kind of the programs that exist, all of what you do in in two minutes. (laughs) Yes. So what what I do is I help people address their biology of trauma. And so people come to me and they say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm stuck in this point. Can you help me? And it's hands down, yes. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with both the biology and the somatic work. We're going to be meeting every week. We're going to stay consistent about this. We're going to start tracking this. So it's a whole program of containment and guiding a person through the process of actually rewiring their nervous system by integrating both pieces and doing it in such a way that allows the body to make that shift. Many people have come to me both on the on the health coach side of things, providers, uh, nurses, as well as like mental health providers being like, hey, we're working with people with trauma and we don't know how best to help them. So I've created the certification course for those people so they can learn how to see trauma, how to see the biology of trauma and how to be able to bring those topics up with their patients so that if they are not ones who can order this stuff, they're at least being able to have the conversation of, let's review this. These are the symptoms. These are the traits of these types of imbalances, of these types of deficiencies that are common after having had trauma. And let's see if this is high enough yield that we want to find somebody who can order these tests if it's not a person who can order tests. And then, yes, I still do work with families. So that's actually how I started. I started with uh, running weekend intensives for families. And I now have moved mostly online, a a less intensive program than the actual camps that uh, we'll be coming back to later. But for right now, I have the intentional parenting for attachment program so that parents who are recognizing like, ooh, I think my child does have some insecurities for whatever reason. For some people, it's because their child was born premature or had to go to the NICU or they don't know why. They just know that, hey, my child seems to have more need for regulation than what I seem to be able to provide, help me. And it's like, yes, here are some very strategic tools and um, exercises that you can do with your child to provide that dynamic, that regulation so that they can be walking out of their childhood feeling secure, safe, well-adjusted and not having these patterns. Amazing, amazing. If you had to give us a top longevity tip, what would your top tip be? This would be it, Dr. Gray, would be like, Everybody has had stored experiences and trauma in their life by this time. And when we don't address it, it becomes more cemented into our biology. 
accelerating the aging process, accelerating the stress that's on our body. So if you're really interested in programming your body for health and longevity, we need to be addressing these types of patterns and imbalances in the nervous system that will, with more time, just accumulate more stress and more imbalances in your biology that will accelerate the aging process. Awesome. And I know your free gift is parallel to what you just said. So what's the free gift that you have for for our listeners today? Yeah. So I have kind of like a cheat sheet, a, a guide to how do you start to address these biology of trauma? How do you address these patterns? So it goes through kind of recognizing what are the patterns? How would you know if you have stored trauma? And then the roadmap for, okay, if you have it, here is what you do. But first we do need to start with making sure that we recognize how it has affected our life, our biology, recognizing that we have stored trauma. So I have that roadmap for people. And we will post the link to that in the show notes. So thank you for, thank you for that generosity with that. I think really, even for me, a lot of this just starts with, well, one, interviewing you, but like, if I was a listener, just hearing this for the first time, just being like open-minded and thinking, holy smokes, this, <laughs> this could be me, or this could be why my child, like with you, this, you'd figured out why your child was behaving the way that he was. So I just really appreciate your interest and passion to this topic. And I just want to thank you for sharing your story and for coming on the show. And most importantly, sharing your message of hope that attachment trauma can be rewired. So thank you so much, Dr. Amy. Thank you. Thank you. Moving, moving episode right there. Wow. What a blessing to have heard her story and how she has used her trauma literally to now help thousands with theirs. Seeing her son feel loved changed her life. Again, I want to thank Dr. Amy for changing the lives of others, providing this hope today. If you want to connect with Dr. Amy, visit dramy.com. That's D-R-A-I-M-I-E.com. This past summer, she launched her Biology of Trauma Healing Summit, recordings you can also still access at the link of which I will post in the show notes. If you liked this short interview, just imagine how much more you'll love her incredible summit. And if you're a practitioner who is interested in taking her new certification course, join her course interest list link of which I will post in the show notes with the links to her summit and her free download. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thank you so much for listening and remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.